Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Roger Woodall, founder of the Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. With all events in 2020 grinding to a halt, I'll be bringing people back together, but in a different way. In this episode, I'm chatting to an old friend of mine, Caroline Pierce. I've absolutely loved watching Caroline's career over the past 20 years, from being an international athlete to a gladiator on Saturday Night TV and now presenting UFC in America and in the UK. Just a quick heads up, we release a new episode every single Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe, leave us a cheeky review, and if you want to get hold of me, you can do so on Instagram at eventfulentrepreneur. But for now, here she is, the inspirational ice, aka Miss Caroline Pierce. Hey Caroline, how you doing? Hey Dodge, I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. Where whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? I'm in my house in Los Angeles. So I live in West Hollywood, California. And um and actually, if I leave now, I can't get back into the country due to the, the crazy yeah. pandemic. Amazing. So how long, you've been there, what, four and a half years of you? Yeah, it was four years in February. Wow. Blown by. Living the dream, yeah. living the dream. Let's get straight into it, Caroline. Well, you're a proper eventful entrepreneur. You're a sportswoman, a sports presenter, author. It just, the list goes on and on. Give me some, give me some background where it all started for you uh, representing Great Britain. I think to go like right back, my mum always jokes that I ran before I walked, so... I was kind of always the active kid and the tomboy and, and getting into crazy things. But yeah, I, I first competed for England. I won the England scores. I first competed for England, age 15. Went on to senior honours for Great Britain in heptathlon. So if people don't know what heptathlon is, it's the seven track and field events. You do the hurdles, high jump, shot put 200 metres, long jump, javelin, 800 metres over the two days. I mean, just think of Jessica Ennis and Denise Lowe, had Olympic champions in that. But so when I was competing, you know, with them as well for Great Britain, um, started at Loughborough Universities where I met you and just surrounded by sport. And, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an Olympic champion. Um, I wanted it to be my full-time career. And I studied sports science degree and master's degree in exercise physiology at Loughborough University alongside that. You know, I kind of knew I probably needed some, you know, backup and wanted the education. Or my parents told me I did um, at the same time, which I'm thankful for. Um, yeah, and I had many years competing for Great Britain and winning national championships. And then I got pretty serious knee injury. How old were you when you went to Loughborough University and when did you get your knee injury? Yeah, so I was 19, so straight out of uh, school when I went to, out of sixth form when I went to Loughborough, did four years there studying, did an extra almost year training full-time as an athlete. And it was around that time, so it must have been age 24, something like that, 25, so prime age for an athlete that I just, they just discovered I had bone on bone in my left knee. And that's not an injury that you suddenly feel. It's not like you're running down the track and there's this sudden, you know, ping or like a hamstring going, which I've done as well. It's just a gradual, like the wheel bearings being out of alignment. And it's just this gradual wearing on the joint. And suddenly there's just extreme pain. So after sort of a year of some surgery and rehabbing, it's kind of clear that this isn't just something that's going to go away. And there was other things that, you know, that I wanted to do. So I guess I sort of retired around 25, so young, feeling like I'd accomplished a lot, but I didn't reach my goal, which was to be Olympic champion, you know? And so that was, and I've read a lot about it since. It's, it's that change in identity from being an athlete 
to who am I? You know, who am I? What do I represent? If I'm not an athlete, who am I? I've since learned you're always an athlete and that same mentality carries through to whatever you do. But there was definitely a sort of year or so where it's like, well, what do I do now? I have I have these two degrees and I've I've done all these things, but what what's next, you know? And and what was next for you? I can't believe you actually did two degrees. I struggled getting one degree, <laughs> let alone two. I think you used to I think you used to lend me a pen and paper every time I turned up to very the lectures. <laughs> you know, I was quite an academic though, and I think the opposite to you. I, I didn't think in an entrepreneurial way when I was younger. I was just about winning winning events and winning races and getting the best marks I could. I didn't really know what I was gonna do with it all, which is probably why I had this kind of dilemma when studying had ended and my sports career had seemingly come to an end. Um, but I realized that the same drive and mentality I had for wanting to be a champion in my sport kind of served me pretty good in, in the kind of opportunities that came my way. And people have sometimes said, oh, you were lucky these things came for you. But I, I just planted enough seeds and had made enough good relationships that, that I was able to have a lot of those opportunities. So I'd started um, while I was competing, I realized I need to make money as well. I had some funding from the you know, the government national lottery funding for athletes. But, you know, I, I wanted to make money at the same time. And it was when I was sat in the lab doing my master's degree, like kind of with all these tubes and whatever we were doing, I thought, I do not want to be sat in a white room with a white coat. That's not for me. And I'd had a little bit of taste of some sports modeling and um, sort of sports commercial work alongside my competing and I loved it. I got kind of this taste for television and kind of going out there and, yeah, being out in the world and, and whatever. And an opportunity with a company called Powerplate came along. So do you know what Powerplate yeah, is? Yeah, I do. I remember. I remember. Yeah, Powerplate is a vibration training technology. Yeah. So basically it uses vibration. Athletes use it. People with disabilities can use it for rehab. Um, people that just want to get fit. So I, I came across this machine and it was actually in Harrods. And I was like, wow, this ties in with everything I studied about how the body responds and the physiology and biomechanics. And I kind of started with them there and then when no one knew what it was. It was the early days in the company and grew my role from there. I went from being standing in Harrods trying to sell machines for them and getting my commission to they're flying me out to America to film infomercials and commercials and, you know, be the, the face of the brand. And then the next day I'm, I'm kind of like writing programming and teaching other people how it works. And then for many years, they're sending me to, to Dubai to talk to the Dubai government about how it can help, you know, if you have it in hospitals and for healthcare. So it's kind of one product and company, which 20 years, almost 20 years later, I'm still a big part of just gave me all these insights into this, big crazy world as to the different things that I could do, whether it was sales and education and being in front of camera and, and all the rest of it. So I kind of thank them for sparking that kind of interest in. You were always very, very focused. I always remember everything you did, you wanted to be the best at. And even 20 years on, I'm seeing you now, we're gonna go on to what, what you've been up to the past 20 years, but it's been a delight to watch you on your journey, your entrepreneurial journey. So just let's just go back a bit now. Tell me about representing Great Britain in the bobsleigh team. Oh, I missed that out. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> all I, when I think about. of bobsleigh, all I think of is cool runnings. Well, that's where we, we actually went to that track. That really? was my first track, the one where they filmed cool runnings in Calgary, in Canada. Awesome. You know, I talk about my athletic career on track and people, oh, yeah, yeah, nice, nice, nice. And then you mentioned bobsledding, which opened, and everyone's like, Whoa. yeah. So, the, the, bobs the British bobsled team were recruiting track athletes. They wanted 
people that were fast and they wanted to increase the depth of talent in the women's team. And a lady called Nicola Minicello, who went on to win world titles and medals, etc., in bobsled, her and I had done heptathlon together. We're part of Great Britain athletic team together. And I had an ability, I, for sort of a fairly small build, I could clean and snatch and lift a huge amount of weight. I'd always been very powerful and had that initial kind of fast twitch. And she said, we want you to try out. So down at Bath University, they had the, or probably still do, have the artificial push track. And I went down there with, with Jenny Pacey as well, who was at Loughborough, and she came to try out as well. And I broke all their push track records for the sprint. And we sort of pushed this fake sled down or whatever. And it must have only been a few weeks, a month later, they said, we want you to come out to Calgary for the build up to the world championships with the British team and kind of like develop with us. So I was sort of at this peak of my track career at the time and, you know, had indoor internationals lined up with Great Britain. I thought this opportunity doesn't come around very often. This is something completely new and unique that could even take me further. Maybe this is my ticket to an Olympics or something like that. So I did and I found myself a few weeks later in Calgary, Canada, hurtling <laughs> down back 80 miles an hour. They <laughs> on the team as well. And the two of us just looking at each other and going, we end up here, like what are we doing? <laughs> and that first run, it was six in the morning in Calgary. I remember the coach saying, just enjoy this run. You can look around, you know, whatever. The, the driver, Nicola Minicello, was my driver. She knows what to do. You just enjoy the ride. And I don't know what he was thinking that I could look around. Like the G-force is so strong yeah. that you literally got your head between your legs. And when they said break, which was primarily my job when we get to the end of the track, I'm just easing this brake on, which is just like a rudder that you pull between your legs. And she's screaming at me, stop, stop. And we went flying off the end of the track um, into all the concrete and probably damaged the sled. It turns out that brake is the biggest deadlift of your life. Is it? And that's why they brought me along. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. And what year was this? 2005? 2005. So you left Loughborough, what, 2000 or 2001? No, I started in 99. So I left 2004. 2005 because then I stayed on to compete what an experience it was a crazy experience and you know we did that season um, I was part of the team that won the silver medal in the that world championship so it's wow. kind of the alternate the reserve uh, which was which is a fun experience and then I planned to go back the following season and compete as a break, uh, sorry and learn to be a driver I wanted to they call it driving school you go to yeah. Bobsled driving school and I want to be part of the season from the beginning and then um, the injuries that ended my track career were you know, coincided with that and mm. and that didn't happen. So, you know, I had to hang up the ice spikes and hang up the, the track spikes and, and like I say, work out what came next. But well then we move on a couple of years. Um you then were on the show The Gladiator and you were ice. And I hadn't seen you for a long time and I was like, Oh my God, Caroline, she's on telly what what how what? Tell us a story about that. That was an interesting story as well, because I probably like everybody as a kid, I was a huge Gladiators fan. And I've, I've got this story a ton of times, but I used to say to my my mum, I'm going to be a Gladiator when I grow up. And, you know, she'd give me that little smile and nod. All right, darling, you know, you know sure you will be. So anyway, I was working with Powerplay and I was in the office actually, which was very rare. And uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Phil Norse at, at Powerplay, he was like, they're bringing back gladiators on Sky One. He's like, you should be, you should go on as a contestant. And I just laughed and I said, I never wanted to be a contestant. I want to be a gladiator. What are you talking about? About a week later, I get a phone call from the producers 
and they're saying, hey, they're like, you know, your agent's been in touch or manager's been in touch and um, we'd like to audition you for a gladiator. Now, I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. I, I was like, where has this come from? Turns out my friend Phil like called them pretending to be my agent and, and put me forward as a gladiator. And John, um, John Anderson, who was the gladiators already, you know, Scottish gladiator, he was one of, he used to coach a lot of us in athletics anyway. So I, I knew him and he was kind of running the testing we had to do to get qualified, but to get sort of chosen. But it was this whole long process of doing all the physical tests and competition and then the character tests. And I went through all these kind of X factor style, you know, half of you sit over there, half you sit over here, you know, you guys are going home, you guys are going on to the next day and eventually got picked. And they used the name ice for me based on my winter sports experience with bobsled and dykes and gave me a silver sparkly costume and went from there. It was, that was probably one of the most fun, crazy things I've done. But and how long did you do that for? I just it only went two seasons, and I just did the first season, the the first one of Taiwan. But we had so much press around it, and you know, it was Gladiators was coming back. They made us, they kind of imposed a character on us a little bit more than the original Gladiators, who kind of you know had friendly and lightning, and you know, Big Bad Wolf was the bad. But with us, they kind of said you need to be this character and. I was, I'd be smiling and then I'd be told, cut, you know, you need to be mean. This is your character. I just wanted to win. I just wanted to be an athlete and win. And I had to remind myself that, you know, I'm playing a character here. But we had some crazy moments. I remember on Hang Tough, so the, the rings over the, it was over water for us. Because the original series, they had a lot of injuries over mats where I think Jet, you know, broke her back or something. She um, recovered from. So we were over water for everything, which was kind of insane as well. But I remember on Hang Tough, this one girl, she kept kicking me. Every time I tried to kind of like, you have to wrap your legs around and pull them down. She was kicking me. So I did this maneuver where I took my legs up over her head. I no longer felt like I was playing a game. I was angry and all the rest of it. But we had so much fun. And even to this day, those guys are in my phone under their gladiator names, oh, even amazing. though, you know. Amazing. And, yeah. and, and you did that for a year. Was that, was that like three days a week? Or was it just on the Saturday? Or um, We filmed intensely for with the training for a few months and then the actual filming it was over several months but we filmed every day so we were just you know wrapping at midnight back in at six in the morning into hair and makeup and wow. getting ready for the next show. so it was, it was pretty intense and then the rest of the year was just all the appearances and stuff that went with it really when you bring back a, a big show so it must have properly raised your profile that that the gladiators must have must have taken to the next level i guess yeah, it did. And and at the time, you know, people were stopping us because I still had this white hair and, you know, they, they told us, you've got to keep your look because we've got appearances and things to do for the, the foreseeable. Um, so, yeah, it really did. And, and even to this day, people, you know, will ask me about that. It's a shame it didn't go on longer, but I don't think my body would have stood up to it. Yeah. <laughs> it would have it got violent, I think, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, by the end of the show, they were making new bits of costume for us because say one of us had sprained her ankle and we were wrapped, you know, ankle wrapping. They had to make some kind of silver costume piece to go over the wrapping. Oh, right. or... and, and and from there then, that, ra that raising your profile, what was the next move for you? Obviously, you must have sat back and thought, right, where am I going next? Well, that gave me a taste for television. I realised I really like this. I liked everything that went with it. And it, even though I wasn't competing anymore, it gave me a sense of... The television you're still prepping and performing and you go live or, or you're pre-recording the cameras turn on and it gave me that taste for doing that and if, if you remember or still remember la muscle yeah, uh, I do. tv i do
I'd known um, Parham, who owns the company for, for a little while. I'd met him at some kind of trade show. And he gave me the opportunity because I said, oh, I want to do some presenting and, and whatever. And he gave me the opportunity. It's like, well, you find events that you want to host and we'll send you there with a the camera crew. So things like um, the motor show or rugby expos and stuff like that. Like, okay, so I'd, I'd go there with a the camera and I'd go around interviewing the different stands. And we, we did lots of things like that. So I kind of got a taste of creating my own kind of show concepts and, and so forth. And I got um, a manager. I've been with Insanity Talent Management kind of ever since. And they helped me. And I thought, I want to be a sports presenter. You know, I've had this taste of television, but I don't want to be a character. I'm not an actress. I don't want to be a character. Um, I want to combine my love of sport with this passion for television. And I haven't had any formal television broadcast experience. I was just kind of learning on the go. And um, I created this series with exclusive sports media. Um, I think it was called The Truth Athlete Insights. And I wanted to show, because I've learned that you've got to show people doing what you want them to have you do. You know, you can't just go in there and say, I can interview all these athletes for you, Sky Sports, BT Sports, you know, you have to have this show reel or this, this evidence that you can do that. And I didn't have the, the formal training. So I created this series and I managed to get lots of top names, rugby players, track athletes to interview with me. And I think when fast forward a little while, um, BT Sport launched as a channel. Um, well, actually, I've missed out World's Strongest Man. That was another opportunity I got. But when BT Sport launched, I think that helped to show, you know, look, I've done this. I can sit down and I can talk to athletes. So I kind of went about creating my own little series online. And this was before we were anyone was really doing yeah. social media, YouTube uh, series and all the rest of it. So... I guess at the time it was quite unique. Um, and yeah, my first big gig I got actually was World's Strongest Man. And because um, I, I thought to myself, there's, I'm not going to suddenly one, go in. There's one gig bigger than that, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> did, that come before, did that come before World's Strongest Man? I can't remember what year it was. So yeah, we'd known each other from Loughborough. And I think I must have started doing a little bit of presenting by then because you'd contacted me to to present. I think it was one of your first ones. I think it was. I think it was, I think it was uh, 2010 or 2009. It was either our second or third year. And I said, do you fancy coming to present Bournemouth Sevens on the thing? And you did. You did a marvellous job. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. That was a great no opportunity I remember you know we spent the day going around getting everything from Vox Pops with the crowd nice. and, and players and doing all these pieces to camera and yeah I was kind of still learning on on the go really and uh, that little piece of footage I had it was things like that that you put into your showreel and show people look I'm at a real event and I'm and doing these things so yeah thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> we we're both learning our trade back then both still learning and now and then World Strongest Man came around and i that's another thing I was like a Christmas favorite, isn't it? Christmas time, you watch the world's strongest man. And I knew that I wasn't going to suddenly be able to present an inside soccer. I've been in America too, present football or suddenly go into, you know, being this lead presenter on, on the big show. So I thought, what, what kind of event or sport can I present that doesn't necessarily have a strong or a female lead that's, you know, a little bit more niche, but, you know, I could maybe make, you know, the, you know big fish in the small pond type thing and this world's strongest man opportunity I pitched for and I did it by I was presenting the Europe's strongest man and the giants live that Colin Bryce organizes and and going around doing that so I got to know the guys I had a good rapport with them so when channel five were looking for a presenter I, I got the job to do the world's strongest man on channel five at Christmas time and that was probably a decent break actually being on you know a terrestrial channel doing the show and we're out in 
uh, North Carolina for a couple of weeks filming it and, and had a blast. And I just realized this, I'd be sitting there before these guys, you know, when I did their thing and I'm just so nervous and not because I'm going to be on you know, television, but just because the athlete in me was sitting there realizing that I'm smelling the deep heat that they're all rubbing on them. Ooh, that kind of feeling I would get before I went out for a race. So I kind of thought, well, I like this. I'm getting, I feel like I'm still in it. You know, I feel like I'm still getting that fix I need of, of sport and adrenaline yeah. and all the rest of it. Amazing. So you're learning your trade. And what year was this, were you saying? Are we talking 2012? Well, Strongest Man was 2011 that I, Giants Live and Europe's Strongest Man, all those things for a, a few years afterwards. Um, and then, yeah, BT Sport launched. Not everything that I've done has not necessarily been what I would have pictured or planned. Like I didn't necessarily think I'd be doing World's Strongest Man. I never imagined, you know, a lot of things I would have done. So when BT Sport came on board, I wanted to be part of their MotoGP um, lineup. You know, Susie Perry's job with Formula One was my dream job. I wanted to be out on the track, on the road, having some kind of sense of going around the world, doing these things. And, um, that didn't, but that season wasn't starting till the following year with BT Sport. But my my manager Ollie had been, you know, talking back as a board to it. And then I'm in on holiday in the Maldives with my boyfriend at the time, and that was when you leave your phone in the safety deposit box and maybe check it once a week. You know, it wasn't taking photos and pinned to us. Um, and I remember checking my phone halfway through the trip, and it was my manager saying BT Sport would like you to host um, the UFC. Um, a weekly show called UFC Beyond the Octagon. Are you interested? And it was just, I turned to my boyfriend at the time and I was like, I don't know anything about UFC. I literally could name two fighters and, and he used to do some fighting. So he was like, you know, we spent the rest of that holiday just like studying and learning and all the rest of it. But I was always taught you say yes and you learn. So, you know, I, I said yes. I said I was very well versed on UFC and, you know, I... <laughs> I can do this and yeah and it went from there so when I got back it was the August I think of 2013 yeah and um yeah I went in and we went from them saying look it's going to be a pre-recorded show you're going to have a co-host and they're like actually we're going to do it live this is going to be a live (laughs) I had done a little bit of um training in the meantime I'd done a few courses and whatever but nothing could have prepared me for just suddenly going live you know on this new network to however many people uh, and, and I just felt like I was peddling and when you don't know a sport I mean I, I study like crazy and that's always been something I've done I'll always make sure I to you know beyond what I need that's always been something I've, you've I've done always to get been into. you've always been a grafter yeah and I remember I was a little skeptical at first I didn't know too much about it and I just knew it was obviously fighting and all the rest of it but I had no idea that that sport would take me to the places and, and the opportunities that it's done. And we started with a studio show. We'd have a live audience. We then, um, you know, I, I then got an opportunity and I'd worked with James Haskell actually on, cause he was part of our show as well. He was going out and doing features with the fighters. So he's got an interest obviously, as you know, in MMA as well. Yeah. And then I got on the road and I got to use my sports science that I'd studied because they'd have me going to Loughborough University, talking to the, professors about testosterone replacement therapy because there was a big thing in fighting at the time about TRT use and and then talking about um you know the comparing different weight classes and the way they train and their energy expenditure so I got to kind of really explore the the science stuff that I love that geeky side I love with with kind of put it onto television and then UFC Fight Pass which is the digital network for the UFC um their European sort of team uh, the guys that worked on BT Sport, a lot of the freelancers were also working for them. And 
they put me forward and I then got to work for UFC Fight Pass and actually go out to the events and, and be their reporter for all the European events. So whether it's the UK or we were in Sweden, Stockholm and all the rest of it. So then I started going out to more of the events and then BT Sport decided to cover the events live with a live broadcast at the events. And things transpired that we then switched from being a live studio show to doing these pre-recorded shows that eventually kind of winding down and instead we were going out as a team to Vegas and on the ground more and I was going out to Vegas with UFC themselves and as a result of that I started to get this idea that I'd actually quite like to live in America I'd quite like to do this I feel like there's big opportunities here so I just started to begin with that it's paid for myself to go out and shadow some of the big names at Fox Sports that were, were covering at Ariel Hawani and those guys and just paid my own way to show look pay me to do the job but I know you weren't going to take me there anyway so I'll pay for myself to get there but I'd earn what I earn would pay for my costs and a little bit more and I then would go to LA and start just trying to meet with managers and agents out there and all the rest of it long story short after a few trips and you know taking some meetings and talking to Fox Sports I said if I was in America would you have me work work for you out here and they gave me they gave me an opportunity they said yeah they said if you're here so the contract with Fox was actually a contract with Zufa, who owned the UFC, or did own the UFC. So I was already working or had a contract with UFC anyway. So working for Fox is, is still just a contract under the UFC. So they said, yeah, once you get out here, we can we can have you doing things. But in the meantime, they had me working a lot of the European events. So I was like, wow, I've worked for BT Sport in the UK. And I've got this opportunity with Fox Sports. It, it took a few years to get out to LA. I mean, visa processes, don't get me started on that or a, a long painful enduring expensive process but i was thinking it's who's willing to just fight and, and 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 make it happen so i eventually moved out to los angeles and it kind of transpired that i ended up doing less for fox sports they kind of in the end wanted me more in europe than they had a team in america you know so but instead bt sports said oh wow now we have you around in america we can use you as our u.s correspondent for, yeah. for the event so i ended up that was when Conor McGregor was fighting, you know, left, right and center. We were just going out to Vegas every few weeks and, and covering these fights. Wow. So kind of UFC is my ticket into America, really. You know, I never would have imagined it, but yeah. And what sport. year were you talking here? 2016? 2016, yeah. I've been, been yeah, four and a half years, like I said. So yeah, I so went out there then. What was it? So when was the first time you met Conor McGregor? I know you're good friends with him. Yeah, so I met Connor. It was actually in the UK. He just after he fought in Dublin. No, before he headlined in Dublin, this the biggest event. It was absolutely crazy. The decibels of sound in that arena were louder than a rock concert. They measured it as. Um, it was before he fought in. Um, he just won a few fights in the UFC, but it was an up, he was an upcoming star, and he came on our show at BT Sport. And I met him and his coach John Cavanagh then. Um, and then yeah, just ended up doing a lot of interviews with Connor. He obviously exploded. So you know, all the pre-fight interviews. And I always got on really well with Connor. I think he respected my own sports background and, you know, the stuff we talked about with with sport and training and everything. And you get to know the coaches and the family and you find yourself on this crazy journey and road with their development. So I guess I was part of that, you know, interviewing of him as he went from, oh, you know, a star already, but to a, a mega star. And it sort of culminated in when he, Floyd May Mayweather in boxing I was the first person to do apart from the immediate interviews he did in the arena that night I think he went away for a while on holiday or whatever celebrate the money etc he won <laughs> I was the first person to do a proper interview with him afterwards and it was um Kong events in Glasgow and it was an evening with Conor McGregor so I hosted it on stage and um he you know he agreed that I'd be the person to to do the interview and we 
sat in front of this you know crowd or auditorium full of hundreds of people and we talked about everything from his growing up to the Floyd Mayweather fight and and all the rest of it so yeah it was been pretty cool to witness and actually just he's talking of you know entrepreneurial mindset and all the rest of it and what that guy's done with proper 12 his whiskey and everything else he's he's quite a unique individual when you you talk to him very very inspiring very and is he a good bloke yeah yeah my experience with connor is that when you interview connor he he's talking to you there's a lot of fight and i'll say all all the fighters have been incredible you know they they are really respectful great human beings and what they do is insane but but connor does stand out of one of those that really does talk to you personally he addresses you by your name he he's not just giving you any kind of answer. He's, he's thinking and listening and, and addressing the specific questions and, and always been very kind to me. We chat and he's given me, I hurt my back a year before last and he was sharing his rehab, you know, tips with me and stuff. So Connor's always been incredibly, incredibly nice and, and supportive of me as well. We'll so. have to get him on the show, Caroline. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Now the show would blow up, wouldn't it? Well, like, have a word. <laughs> There's a favour for me, Caroline. Yeah. Um, so have you have you seen him when have you seen him you obviously saw him in his younger years have you seen him change over the years obviously finances and money has has gone through the roof with everything that's gone on but have you seen him personally change connor spoke like he was a champion from the beginning you know and i think that's the sign of a champion you believe it first and then you you know you achieve it so he would say things when he first got into the ufc that you know People, I think some people would maybe would laugh at, oh yeah, yeah, this guy thinks he's going to be a big deal. But he said it and he he said, I'll be, I think one of his first fights in the UFC, he said, I'll be the first um, consecutive double champ to hold two, two belts and two weight classes simultaneously. He did it, you know. I mean, of course, the money, the wealth, the lifestyle he lives has changed. Um, you've got to imagine that does change someone in, in some ways. But he still, he still wants stuff. He doesn't need to fight. He's got ridiculous amount of money but he's still a fighter inside and he's still as we you know we're seeing wanting wanting fights and wanting to still perform he's still a young guy he's an athlete yeah he's an unbelievable entrepreneur as well isn't he what he's created yeah. with a whiskey brand and i think anything that he touches he'll make a success there's just certain people who have got that twinkle in their eyes they know they're just going to be on that on that way to to huge success quality as well there's certain fighters that when they arrive into an arena or into the press day that you know they're there they just have something different about them you know and i think i mean that probably helps with the entrepreneurial side of what he does but in terms of the pay-per-views the fans like he's a big deal and and he he walked from from very early on and other fighters try to emulate his talk and the way he does things and you can't fake it you know you can't fake that he just has it so yeah i've I both admire and respect him very much. And I think we can all learn from that mentality of somebody like that and, and how they achieve what they achieve. Mm. You know, I think he's had a lot of kids, especially just great things in Ireland as well with the hospitals during COVID and all the rest of it that people might not necessarily know about and the support he's given. But I think there's a lot of young kids in Ireland thinking, well, he didn't really come from anything and look what he's done. Mm. And I can do the same. But yeah, it's been giving the opportunity to do the things I've done interviewing him and, and just within the UFC and the countries I've been able to go to and whatever has been, been incredible. Absolutely privilege. What a, what a uh, I would like to learn a little bit more about the venues that actually he fights in. What are the venues like in America? So a lot of them are in Vegas. Mm. So when I first started, it was all at the MGM Grand Arena. So I think maybe 15,000 people. Yeah, that's right. I went, um, I, now, went, I went to the MGM Grand in 1996, I think 97, when I saw Mike Tyson versus Holyfield when Tyson bit his ear off. 
That's the last time I was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's why a lot of the fighters, it's pretty special for them to fight in Vegas. You know, it is the, the mecca of, of, of fighting. And um, because a lot of them are like, yeah, this is where Mike Tyson fought. It's pretty mm-hmm. special. Now they beat the, built the T-Mobile arena. So that's the new arena where all the Vegas fights take place. And then, you know, I was at the first ever um, UFC event in New York at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Since when I host for the Professional Fighters League now as well. And for the last two New Year's Eves, we've held our championships at Madison Square Garden. So I spent my New Year's Eve at MSG, you know, one of the biggest sports venues, or sorry, sports venues, sorry. Um, so, yeah, the, it's pretty impressive when you walk into that arena and there's that cage in the middle, yeah. but then there's 20,000 people, you know, screaming it. Whether you're a fight fan or not, that atmosphere is yeah. electric. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And I just love the backstage as well. So I'm mostly backstage during the night. And um, that's where we, that's where we're the first ones to see the fighters when they walk back. They have their medicals and come to us to interview. That's where you see the families, the dynamic with the coaches. It's almost, I like to step into the arena to feel that atmosphere, mm-hmm. but that dynamic we have backstage is you feel so privileged to be so close to that kind of emotion, that raw emotion of post-fight, pre-fight and all the rest of it. Yeah. And, you know, the fighters are about to walk out. They're about to walk out into that arena for the biggest fight of their life. They, you know, they know they could get killed in there. You know, it's, it's a high risk case. And just the different way they're mentally preparing. Some are pacing up and down. Some are just like staring and some have got their hype men with them. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun thing to witness. And have you met Dana White? Many times, yeah. I've interviewed Dana White many times, yeah. every After every fight, he'll come and do a post-fight interview with us. We do pre-fight interviews with him. I've sat down and done one-on-one interviews with him. And what, yeah, many what's times. What's his story? Do you, do you remember he bought, didn't he buy, I can't remember how many millions he paid for the UFC and then it literally just sold yeah. out for four billion, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. him and the Fatita brothers, um, they were fight fans and, and they bought it. It was dying. It's basically a dying company and they bought it for yeah, a couple of million or something like that. And what saved it or what made it huge was the reality show, The Ultimate Fighter. So the ultimate fighter basically then personalized these fighters, you know, characters, personalities, you know, the TV uh, attention it garnered, et cetera. And that's when it exploded. And yeah, they're just so innovative. I mean, right now with this COVID pandemic, the UFC was a first sport back. They built an island. They're on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi to be able to have international fight. So it's, he's, he just thinks ahead of, of everybody else. When people say you can't do it, Dana White will do it, you know? And, you know, they've got the money behind them now, but it's, I guess, because they've had that foresight and that not afraid to be different, really. Mm. He's a special, he's a very, very special promoter, isn't he? Yeah, very. And, and again, I've not encountered anyone that's just not been super nice and, you know, always will give his time and address me personally. And, you know, it's, it's just a great person to talk to. He knows the inside out. Everyone wants to hear what he has to say at the end of a fight. You know, any interview we do with him, the numbers are, are super high. You know, them and the, him and the main event. I think, I think, I think, Caroline, I think you've inspired a lot, a lot of, a lot of people over the years. And I think that the last four years and watching you on, on TV and you present yourself super well, and it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be a friend of yours. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's just been about, you know. I've had a lot of, that's all the success. It's been a lot of knockbacks as well, even within the things I've talked to you about. And I, I just try and find different angles and, and different ways of doing it, you know. And um, for example, I didn't end up moving forward with Fox Sports, but then the BT Sport opportunity grew more and more. And then as we sort of have started doing a little bit less, or I have done with with UFC and BT Sport, I, well, actually, they then gave me some boxing opportunities as well. So I got to do um, the... 
um, Canelo, Triple G, Dufai. I did Tyson Fury and Wilder the first time I was there, you know, in the in the arena, like literally sat behind Ricky Hatton, who was cornering and, and whatever. So I've had some amazing experiences with BT Sport. And, and I guess what I've been able to showcase there um, got me the opportunity with the Professional Fighters League. So Professional Fighters League is, we're two years in now, it's another MMA organization. When people think of MMA, they just think of UFC, yeah. you know, but there's organizations and the PFL, the Professional Fighters League, runs more like a true sports format, the way they have sport in America. So you have a regular season, a playoff, and then a championship. Um, we're on ESPN. And so I got the gig as the, the lead host for, for that. And our first year was on NBC Sports. Last year, we're on ESPN. Um, I do the pre-fight show, the post-fight show, and the interviews, get in the cage and do the interviews. And the winner of every weight class in this league wins a million dollars at Madison Square Garden um, at the end of the year, as well as, you know, you get paid really well. So it's all just been, you know, like you say, the connections you make and, and just keep acquiring knowledge and, and improving on what you do. It's been pretty phenomenal. But we cancelled the whole 2021 season due to COVID because of, so many international fighters or whatever so in my mind i'll just always find a way i've always just had that mentality if i just keep working hard and pester people yeah. <laughs> just banging doors down constantly banging doors down yeah and there's rejection there's so much rejection but that's okay as well yeah and it's fine you you grow from it and i remember when my sort of world's strongest strongest man experience came to an end they they didn't utilize me the next year or the year after i can't remember what it was and i was devastated and I was like, you know, what I did a great job, what happened? And my mentor who I'd been working with um, for sports broadcasting said to me, he said, you've done it, you've yeah. done it, move on. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. You know, what else can you do? You've yeah. ticked that box. Yeah. That's not your be-all be and end-all. And so that's yeah. how I kind of approach it. But I'm just a very loyal person. And when I become involved with any kind of organization, I, I like to grow with them. I was with Powerplay from the beginning. I've grown with them in 20 years. And BT Sport, I was with them from the beginning of the channel and the beginning of the, you know, getting the rights to the UFC. And I, I feel, again, you, you start to feel part of a family. Yeah. And, and I have so much loyalty to want to, to grow something with a company. Mm. Same with the PFL. You know, I was from there from season one and we feel part of the family. So mm. it's, yeah, it's, I think loyalty as well is a big factor in, in building those relationships mm. and maintaining them, having other opportunities come your way. Totally agree, totally um, agree. So, so before we wrap up here, Caroline, is there any question you got for me? Oh yeah, you know, I was listening to your show. You know, you being interviewed for the first one of your show, and I knew you from Loughborough as always inviting us to these events and all these things you were doing, but I didn't know the early story as to you know how you got this sort of entrepreneurial mindset. So, I guess my question to you would be for someone like myself that's you know been fairly successful in terms of media and. One thing I haven't talked about is what I do in fitness as well, because I, I have um, FitOn and TV.Fit apps that I have my work, constantly trying to promote them. How do I, how do I or anyone like myself utilize, having got a little bit of, you know, TV time and, and, and brands and all the rest of it, to further push my own brand, if you like, alongside what I do on television? You know, how I, Caroline Pierce, become more of a, a brand and money-making machine myself if that makes sense because i know you've done that keep doing what you're doing and at the moment you've got a wonderful brand and that's you you know and the Car caroline pierce brand but it's about looking at it and saying well where are the opportunities at the moment you've got a wonderful following everyone likes you you're kind you're loyal you've got all these wonderful qualities how can you then monetize that into something else on top of what you are doing which is on the side 
Now, me personally, I would look at doing something where it's online courses with you. And I believe if you could sit down and think about what opportunities there are that you, something that you can sell, what people want from your knowledge, you'll basically be a knowledge broker. You've got a lot of knowledge. You've got a lot of uh, knowledge in the fitness industry, in presenting. Maybe you could put a package mm-hmm. together where you can teach Interesting you this. say that. I recently filmed um, just, you know, during this COVID period, I got all my, you know, like we all have now camera set up to ring lights all the rest of it. And I filmed, um, because I do get asked a lot, you know, how do you make it into sport broadcasting? How do, how do you get your break, et cetera? So I did this video on, um, you know, how the tips I would give someone to, you know, to give yourself the best opportunity. I've not done anything with it. I've sat on that video now for months um, because I thought to myself, am I really qualified? And you question yourself, you know, am I really qualified? Do people really want to know what I have to say about it? Um, because there's still people doing more than I'm doing that I want to aspire towards. But yeah, maybe I do something with that video. We've got one life. We have one life and you're living it to the max. And I think if you can just utilize that other area where you think people aren't interested in learning what you've done, but you've you've been around the block. You've done 20 solid years of hard graft, opened up lots and lots of doors, and you've been tenacious in a very kind, humble way. And Thank you. hats off to you, Aww. hats off to you. Much respect. Caroline, we're going to wrap it up from here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Good luck to you as well. Nice one. Take care.